Welcome to Today on Broadway for the Ides of March, Monday, March 15th, 2021. It has been, ironically, 151 days <laughs> since Tony nominations were announced. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Um, Ashley, despite the ominous day that it is um, today, that means yesterday on Sunday was uh, Pie Day, which we didn't get to celebrate. So um, happy Sweeney Todd slash Waitress Day to everybody on Sunday if you are hearing this <laughs> in the good. Patreon feed. Um, we are going to be releasing a little earlier this episode um, to try to keep up with the fact that James, Peter, and Michael released their This Week on Broadway episode a little early in Patreon because they recorded it on Saturday night with the great lyricist David Zippel, um, a great conversation talking about um, all of the great things that he has worked on. And I must say, they got a little bit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I oh, was... for God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> very, very happy about, because David Zippel wrote the lyrics for the song The Star-Spangled Man, which is featured in Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, he wrote that with uh, Alan Menken, and it's kind of like a uh, an homage, a pastiche homage to Irving Berlin's songs. Um, he also talked about uh, the new Cinderella musical that he's writing with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Emerald mm. Fennell. Mm. Um, I've got to say... The fact that Emerald Fennel's involved, like, makes me... Yeah, it's true. ...a little more interested. David um, David and Emerald. Uh, we're two yeah. for three on that show. Well, two for four, because I don't like Cinderella in general. So, yeah. there we go. That's fair. Anyway, you can hear that in uh, the podcast feed, either Patreon or the regular ones. Um, of course, if you are a member of our Patreon family... Um, you get to hear everything before it is released in the regular feed. And to be a part of that, head over to patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. Now, Ashley, mm-hmm. since we are recording slightly earlier than normal slightly. on Sunday. <laughs> like six hours early. Five. Five. <laughs> I um, know-ish. Depends. Depends on our moods and schedules. Well, and the time change. You know, that always yeah. throws it off. This um, is the problem. This is the problem is I, it's two o'clock when we're recording. I technically woke up what would have been 1230. What would which was one thirty, so I am having my first cup of oh, coffee as oh. we record this episode. So now everyone gets to see what I'm like first thing in the morning, which is really delighted. First thing in the morning, morning is a relative term. Um, exactly. <laughs> that means that shortly after we record, the Grammy Awards will be uh, going on, and including the um, the in the pre televised portion. Um, of the Grammy Awards will be the uh, Best Musical Theater Album category, mm-hmm. which includes the um, UK version of Amelie, the Broadway version of American Utopia and Jagged Little Pill, as well as the off-Broadway productions of Little Shop of Horrors and Soft Power, and uh, the world premiere British production of The Prince of Egypt. Obviously, we don't have uh, the winner of that yet, but... We will let you know on tomorrow's show who took home that award. What's your prediction? What's my prediction? American mm. Utopia. Ooh, yeah, that's probably that's probably about right. It's a good Venn diagram for the Grammys to have exactly. something with David Byrne. Yeah, well, a few years ago, Robbie Rizal came on and kind of explained the process of this. Like, if you are a mm. member of whatever Academy votes on um, the Grammys, you're only allowed to vote in, like, a certain number of categories. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. It's, like, 30 categories, and there's, like, 100 bazillion categories. True. Uh, but it's really interesting, like, who would make the choice to put this as one of their categories and what that mm-hmm. means. I don't know. I'm going with the rock star um, who had a show that was available on HBO Max to stream. That makes that sense. Seems like the safest thing there. 
All right, Ashley, let's get into the news. And first up, last week, the Washington Post's Peggy McGlone published a story about the uptick in tours and touring houses beginning to sell tickets for this fall. Some major touring destinations like Charlotte, Austin, and even here in Orlando have begun announcing revised schedules and to actually start putting tickets on sale. I can confirm that members of my family purchased a handful of the 13,000 subscriptions for the Dr. Phillips Center that have been gobbled up since the season was announced just a few weeks ago. Um, that season will start with, nice. a, with a week-long run of Town beginning on oh. September 21st. And while that is newsworthy in and of itself, the article focuses on some conversations um, that have kind of been brought to the forefront because of these announcements. Now, we've heard a ton of announcements over the past year, Ashley, and those are all fine mm-hmm. and good and we talk about them. But when you attach something concrete like selling tickets where there is actually money being exchanged, yeah. ev- even if those tickets come with a caveat like the ones um, with the Dr. Phillips Center season did, that everything could change based on health conditions and what's going on in the community and the country at large, it still feels a lot more real when exactly. um, you know the Dr. Phillips Center says that they've sold 13,000 subscriptions. For sure. Uh, and we talked about that last week as far as like, you know, what would make us more optimistic as far as what the actual date for Broadway coming back look will, will yeah. be. And we attach that, or, and especially you attach that to ticket sales and when ticket sales come back. So it's yeah. a really big thing. Yeah. And um, Hadestown director Rachel Chavkin kind of feels the same way. Uh, in the article, she said, quote, there's a balance between excitement at beginning to carve your life around something concrete again and a skepticism about that. For me personally, I'm beginning to think about making soft plans for the fall. I have a calendar with some dates that say subject to change. Obviously, she would have to go back into rehearsal <laughs> with a new yeah. touring company and probably the Broadway company as well. Um, although, depending on who is coming back, perhaps maybe an assistant or associate would take that on. But um, the article says that touring houses expect about a dozen Broadway shows to hit the road this fall. That's considerably less than than we would normally see by six to twelve more, depending on what you define as Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. But the one, but some of the ones that they are expecting are Hades Town, Rent, Hamilton, um, Mean Girls, Tootsie, Ain't Too Proud, The Prom, Frozen, Cats, Jesus Christ Superstar. I'm assuming Wicked um, as well, although that one was not mentioned. Um, venues in some of the states that are still being hit the hardest by the pandemic or are still under the most stringent of reopening procedures are still waiting to announce their seasons once they kind of get in all clear. But they are hopeful that as vaccines become more available, they can lock down, no pun intended, sorry about that script mm. faux pas, um, they can <laughs> lock down their plans sooner rather than later. Um, Ashley, one thing that I think is important that we don't talk about enough is what about the folks who were on tour when the pandemic shut yeah. everything down? Yeah. Casey Nicholas said that the Mean Girls tour is aiming to begin rehearsals um, or to start kind of getting things ramped up again in mid to late summer, but no contracts have yet been offered. However, he did say, quote, everyone has different lives now, meaning the actors who were in the tour at the time. Some people have moved out of the city. Some people are saying we're not doing that anymore. 
hopefully we have the same company because the Mean Girls tour was fantastic. I agree. I've seen Mean Girls three times, twice on Broadway, once on tour. I actually think the tour was uh, better than the one on Broadway. But that's just me. Um, Ashley, we've talked so much about the folks on Broadway and what they need to do to get back and what it will be like when they return. But we really haven't done as much to discuss the folks who are going to be on tour who are probably going to return to work in situations that are far more different and, um, and, and stringent, um, than their New York based colleagues because of the travel, because of the, um, different locales that they're going to be in. Like they're going to be returning to a much different life if they actually do end up going back on tour at all. Yeah. I think about, I think about it a lot, especially in terms of crew members too, because I've got friends yeah. who were, had been starting, had been starting tours right before, uh, the pandemic hit. One of my closest friends is doing an American Paris tour. As you mentioned, uh, people's lives have changed so much in the past year. You don't know if certain cities are going to want to put on the same shows because they're going to still, they're going to want to, be getting in as many people as they can on these tour stops. So a show that might have gotten people in a year ago won't necessarily be getting people in now. Though I'm, you know, being so deprived of theater, I will see literally anything that's put on in any theater in any city at this point. So that's besides the point for me. But yeah, it's going to be touring things are going to be really interesting to look at. And then just, you know, we as we talked about earlier, Early on in the pandemic, like the demographics of some of those touring places, yeah. getting people back into seats if they're older is probably going to be a trickier thing, especially if they haven't been vaccinated yet. Um, but we'll have to see. We'll definitely have to see. All right, Ashley, we will see. But for now, we're going to put that on hold and talk about our sponsor for this week, ExpressVPN. We've been talking about it. You've heard us complain about this issue so much recently. The fact that Netflix and other streaming services continue to raise their prices over and over and yet continue to restrict content based on where you're watching it, whether it's because of contractual concerns, language or whatever. It's frustrating as heck that you are paying all that money and not getting your full money's worth. However, you can with ExpressVPN. Doesn't matter where you are or where you want to be, you can watch those country shows with ExpressVPN. It has over 90 countries to choose from. So if you run out of stuff to watch in one country, just switch over to another country and unlock those shows. And you can use it to unlock shows on other streaming devices that aren't Netflix. That's the one we've been complaining about most often. Uh, you can use it on any of your devices as well. Yeah, it's kind of like going on the uh, drinking around the world at Epcot. It's uh, it's streaming sure, around the world, not? which you can yeah. do with ExpressVPN. So <laughs> be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash Broadway Radio. Don't forget to use our link so that you get three extra months free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Broadway Radio, ExpressVPN dot com slash Broadway Radio to learn more. All right, Ashley, let's get back into the news with an update on a story that we talked about a week or so ago. Last week, the London Daily Mail's Baz Bombaboy reported that the creative team behind the Book of Mormon will soon be meeting with key members of the show's company or 
companies to discuss the racially problematic content contained in the show. Baz reports that they are inviting principal actors from New York, London, and other productions from around the world, as well as original cast members, to New York to go through a quasi-workshop. The purpose of this process would be to, quote, go through the show line by line and thrash out any problematic issues. Producers noted that any changes would likely be seen in London first, as the show is far more likely to resume performances there than in New York or on tour or anywhere else. And while some have suggested that the show should instead just close, Ashley, um, (laughs) composer and lyricist Bobby Lopez said that that's not in the plans. He told Baz, quote, What's great about Matt and Trey, the South Parkian creators of Book of Mormon, is they'd rather close the show than make it feel PC and not funny. No one wants to close. We want to make it better. Um, and honestly, actually, I can't imagine how you could make a quote PC or Baz right. uses, Baz uses the term woke and wokeness, which I just is, oh, yeah. I hate that, mm-hmm. but I don't know how you can make a version that fits that bizarre criteria of Book of Mormon, which I guess is kind of the point, I suppose, about why people think you should just close, but that's neither here nor there. Mm. Um, but anyway, Baz's article also included um, some fairly in-depth and personal comments from Nikki M. James, who obviously won a Tony um, for originating the role of Nebelungi in the show, and current ensemble member Arbinder J. Robinson, who dis- they both discussed their process and uncomfortableness with aspects of the shows, how they worked with that. Obviously, Nikki talked about the fact that she was there during the developmental process, and Arbinder said that that's part of the problem with current ensembles of the show is they don't get to go through that process. Yeah. Um, Actually, we've discussed this topic multiple times over the years before this Mm -hmm. whole thing started. Um, So I don't think we need to rehash our feelings, but I will just say that I am glad that they are proactively taking steps to work on it and not just paying it lip service. I hope that whatever the end result is, whether that's changes or closing, um, works and feels right for everybody involved. Absolutely. As you said, I called for it closing, but I do think it is an important step because before the conversation when Baz had mentioned it was that, you know, the new incoming cast members had gone through, you know, kind of the minutia of what they wanted the characters to be, but the audiences don't get to see that. They just get to see what's in front of them. And that's pretty racist what they get to see in front of them. So I'm glad they're at least taking steps to if they're not going to close it try to make it so it's better better in all terms well and nikki had a really good point that like when this show was being developed and worked on it was early on in the obama era and sure matt and trey kind of weren't focused on the racial thing because i think them being two white guys and like a lot of people Mm -hmm. in the country like they it, and she, I'm putting words in her mouth, so I'm extrapolating mm. based off what she said. But it was, it was almost like they thought so many people voted for a black president. Race isn't as much of an issue anymore. Right. Let's focus on the weirdness of the missionary life and the Mormons, which was their focus. And I don't think that it was um, out of spite or malice or anything. It's just no, like, of course it's, not. It was an amalgamation of the time and what they are. They're always focused on Mormons for some reason. They've done a lot with Mormons. Um, and I, I thought that was it. a really interesting time capsule to remember like, oh yeah, like this is, you know, almost 10 years old and the developmental process took a couple years. Like this was the height of the Obama era when this was, it's, was happening. It's it, 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 yeah. It's an important factor to consider, I think. It's true, and I agree with that, but as you said, it's been 10 years. Like, the fact that it's still running 10 years later without any changes, when (laughs) very clearly 
racism isn't over quote unquote uh is no. is the problem no and um so much so that we're going to get into um our next little section here unfortunately talking about racism in the theater but what i've done here in this section there are three pieces that were published late last week over the weekend that i really want to point out and they are from varying publications and um i'm just going to give you real quick synopses of each one and i will put the links in the show notes two of them are a, a little sad and frustrating one of them's um a little bit more optimistic so i'm going to try to balance those out but the first one was something it was posted on medium which is like a self-publishing platform it's called the unraveling of a dream my life in the cast of hamilton an american musical by daniel james bell navis i believe is how you pronounce his last name it's a long read, so be forewarned, um, but it details his experience as a member of Hamilton's ensemble on tour and his experiences dealing with racism, mental illness, sexual assault, and more as a part of the company. Mm. Um, actually, I only saw this like an hour before I started working on the script for this recording uh, because all of a sudden it was like on everybody's social media and they were sure. all sharing it. So I haven't read it all. As I said, it's a long read. Medium estimates as they do on all of their articles that it's a 29 minute read and I am an admittedly slow reader. So I will finish Same. it later. But what I got, um, uh, out of the, 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 the portion that I read is, um, that Daniel really goes in depth and does a good job of detailing a series of micro and some macro aggressions, some of which seem rooted in racism, some in the toxic uh, hierarchical structure that dominates theater um, and misogyny mm -hmm. uh, is involved as well. Um, and he talks about how so much of the discussion around Hamilton Especially in the first few years, he started with the company in 2018. Um, but it was the discussion was about how inclusive and diverse it is and how it was raising up yeah. black and brown voices. Uh, but that wasn't true and wasn't celebrated behind the scenes from his perspective. Mm. Um, and it really did a lot of damage to him. And like I said, I haven't read through the whole thing, but, um, from what I've read, it is even the, the parts that I've read are very much worth the read. And from Jeez. all of the sharing and conversation it's generating on social media, I think it's definitely something that is probably going to be a part of the conversation for a while hope so yeah all right the next one a little bit more optimistic at least although be you know kind of centering around a uh, a sad thing um former broadway radio guest and our friend ashley lee published an article in the los angeles times last week talking about one of my favorite performers and someone who i think is going to be a huge star in very short order taylor amon jones a year ago taylor who is a southern california kid was getting ready to start on the Los Angeles sit-down production of Hamilton. She was going to be playing uh, Peggy slash uh, Mariah. And then after her run and that was done, she was going to Chicago to do the out-of-town tryout of The Devil Wears Prada. Then, of course, the pandemic <laughs> shut everything down. Mm -hmm. um, in the interview that uh, Taylor does with, that Ashley does with Taylor, they talk about what it's been like, um, you know, having kind of like your dreams put on hold, um, spending a year kind of in limbo of not knowing um, what is going on, um, the types of things that um, she's hoping to still accomplish when things get back to normal, which still includes Hamilton and Devil Wears Prada, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I've been, I've talked about uh, Taylor many times on here. I think she's a, a incredible and it's a great read to kind of hear yes, her yes, she is. Uh, talk about that. So um, highly recommend that. Also, of course, always recommend anything that Ashley Lee writes because she's incredible. Yes, the best. 
All right, the final piece that I want to recommend is from BuzzFeed's Julia Reinstein, and it's about the first usher who was diagnosed with COVID, the first usher on Broadway, uh, Peter McIntosh, who was also an aspiring actor. And I remember talking about this story. We didn't know the name of the usher at this point, Ashley, but we talked about Mm -hmm. this uh, on Today on Broadway a year ago. But in reading this story, I know it's crazy, isn't it? Oh, Um, God. I know. But what's in reading it, Peter talks about issues that are obviously about COVID, but go so far beyond that, like the structure of being a Broadway usher and how missing work, even when you aren't feeling well as a pandemic is getting ready to engulf the entire country, mm-hmm. isn't really financially possible. It isn't, um, it's frowned upon when you, um, when you miss, uh, especially yes. last minute. Yes. It's this whole s- semi gig economy. And like, I know ushers, there, it's a little bit more structured. It's not like an Uber driver, but, um, sure. that brings up a lot of issues. It was really an eye-opening article on a lot of fronts, and I genuinely, genuinely recommend this one as well. I, I did read this one because it's like I, I, I was a little bit antsy as, in terms of like the first usher being yeah. named and being publicized because that just makes me feel really skeevy about things. Yeah, like doxing but, him. Uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a really great read. And these are things that, as you mentioned, the gig economy, semi-gig econ- economy, this is stuff I think about all the time. And the things I've been thinking about a lot lately because there was a Twitter thread going around about like what were the disgusting things you did pre-pandemic that you will no longer <laughs> do after the pandemic. And I mean, there were things like you know, making out with people in clubs and bars and things like that. Um, but mainly, like, the one that really sticks in my head is people not calling into work when they're sick and just going to work yeah. because they have to. And I, as a full-time freelancer, thankfully, I work from home because I don't get days off or vacation time unless I, like, do all my work in advance and have to, like, kind of structure it that way. But there are so many people who don't really have that option and are full-time freelancers that work in person and you know actors being those people um so yeah it's just it's stuff i think about a lot and i'm hoping we see a lot of change within that kind of capitalistic Mm. mentality i doubt it will happen but i hope there's a a, at least a lot more pushback and leeway same all right, let's end the show on some things that are a little bit more positive and feel goody in terms of recommendations. Mm. I am sure that many of you saw on Friday there was a special pop-up experience to commemorate Broadway's lost year in Times Square called We Will Be Back. It featured a ton of performers, including Cheetah Rivera, Matthew Broderick, Andre DeShields, uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell, B.D. Wong, Joel Gray, Derek Baskin, the aforementioned Nikki M. James, um, Peppermint, Sierra Boggess, um, Tamara Tooney, Doug Wright, so many more. Um, it's really, really cool um, to see such great stars performing um, in Times Square We've got um, pictures and videos of that in the show notes um, if you want to check that out. Also, in a semi-related story, since Stokes was involved, um, the Actors Fund announced that they they have released $19 million in aid um, during this past year, which is a record. But Stokes, of course, also says that their work is far from over and it'll have to continue for not only this next year, but for years to come. And then speaking of years to come, um, the great and the good Rob McClure released <sighs> season two, episode one 
of his uh, Conductor Cam series. And as he always does, he absolutely nailed it. And Rob and I talked about what I guess was the season finale of episode of season one of this mm. uh, Conductor Cam series. But um, what he did instead of actually kind of focusing on him conducting, it showed him preparing to conduct and it featured what you would hear on the headsets behind a Broadway show, um, yeah. starting with um, Sherry B. Tay, the stage manager for Town, including um, electricians and follow spot operators and, fr- and front of house um, and all these other types of people who are involved in putting on a Broadway show. And essentially the message was we're ready. Like when we're, we're able to get back to work, we are ready to get back to work. Hence the title coming attractions Mm. to this video, but um, truly, truly emotionally impactful and something that (laughs) was like kind of sad, but also very, very exciting and encouraging and and heartwarming as well. Yeah. It was very sweet. And I cry at like everything. I, open openly and unabashedly <laughs> with weeping the entire like four minutes of this it was so lovely but yeah, yeah. just want to be back just want to yeah. be back also um like rob mcclure for president or something like yes correct. i feel like we just need his energy anywhere and everywhere i adore i adore him put him in charge of the universe i'm fine with that I will totally sign up for that. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful Monday and a wonderful week. We will be back to talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.